Thanks for joining us. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. You are now tuned in to this episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. And now, please welcome your host. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And we're back. It's been such a long time, and I'm sorry about it, but we're very pleased that Brigitte Gabriel joined us once again, national security analyst, New York Times bestselling author, chairman act for America.org. Her latest bestseller is Rise. She's originally from Lebanon. She was born to a Maronite Christian family, and then she became a very big supporter of Israel, having come into the United States and written three best-selling books on the New York Times best-selling list, and she's not afraid to speak out, including for the Jewish state. So welcome back to the program. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Zeb. Delighted to be back with you. So thank you. So just share with our audience, it's been a while. You grew up in, in Lebanon. You were a Christian Maronite family. You had problems with the Muslims, but you didn't like Jews when you were growing up, right? Uh, no, not really, because Christians in Lebanon didn't hate Jews. That was a Muslim thing. But the Lebanon I was born into by that time uh, was a majority Muslim country. Uh, you know, when we got our independence from France in the early 40s, the majority of the population in Lebanon were Christians, almost 70%. Uh, unfortunately, as the years went by, the Muslims simply multiplied and had more children than we do. You know, I always give the example uh, of Osama bin Laden, you know, he was one out of 52 children. We in Lebanon got married to one person until death to us part, the Christians. You know, we have two, three children, three, maybe four children by a stretch from the time our kids are born. We start thinking what college we're going to send them to, what schools we're going to, you know, send them to. The Muslims, on the other hand, get married up to four wives at a time, especially in Lebanon, we have a lot of Shiite Muslims. Um, they can have 10 kids out of every uh, wife. And so, you know, by the time you have 40 children, even if you educate only two or three or four, you're still way ahead of the Christian because you still have another 30 field workers. And over the years, that's what really fits the population in Lebanon. By the time I was born into the country, the majority of the people were Muslims. The Christians had become the minority. Uh, in my home, I grew up in a Christian home. So in my home, uh, they didn't teach hatred because obviously we were a Christian family. I'm an only child to a Lebanese businessman uh, who loved his family. He was a devout Christian, uh, cared about the economy, obviously, as a businessman, wanted peace and prosperity. Um, unfortunately, all that began to change, Zeb, when we imported a group of people, the Palestinian refugees, who did not share our values. As a matter of fact, Lebanon was the only country in the Arabic world to import the third wave of Palestinian refugees into the country, even though none of their Arab brethren uh, wanted them. Uh, what, what, year, what year are we talking about? 1948 or later? No, I was talking about uh, King Hussein in the 70s when he bulldozed 30,000 of them and expelled them out of the country because they tried to overthrow the king. Lebanon was the only country that accepted them. And to that consequences, where Christians today are such a minority, even though they do have some positions in government. But when you grew up, what did you think about Israel? Because obviously you were taught in the schools 
Uh, I was just curious to know what what you what your family what your thinking was then. Uh, we didn't uh, really. As I was growing up, I didn't hear much about Israel. There was no talk in the family about that. I remember uh, watching videos, watching television uh, in 1975, when we started seeing a lot of refugees come through uh, Syria and to Lebanon um, because when Sheikh Hussein expelled them. And I remember just people talking about what's happening to the Palestinians. There was a lot of hate in the uh, in the Muslim community against the um, uh, the Jews. Uh, even in the schools, when we studied religion, we studied the New Testament. We didn't even study the Old Testament because it was the, the uh, book for the Jews. But in my own home, I was not taught hatred. But unfortunately, the society around me does uh, nothing but hatred towards the Jews. Now, you also experience anti-Christian sentiment because, as I started saying, a lot of Christians were forced out of the whole Arab Middle East. In Lebanon, wasn't your family persecuted? by the Muslims? Uh, well, my 9-11 happened to me in 1975 when radical Palestinian Islamists actually blew up my home, burning it down, burning me under the rubble wounded. They burned uh, down your family home? My family home. Why? I in a town called Marjayu, and the Palestinians were trying to overtake the Christian towns in South Lebanon in order to create a base from which to fight the Jews, kill them, and throw them into the sea. And they were using Lebanese democracy to basically topple our democracy. Uh, most people don't realize Lebanon is a republic, exactly like the United States of America. And so they were able to use Lebanese open-mindedness, fairness, tolerance, multiculturalism to advance their cause in the country. And while they're doing that, they put their heads together with the Muslims in Lebanon and declared war on the Christians. And as they were trying to take over the Christian towns in southern Lebanon so they can establish a base to fight Israel, my home was immediately below the military base uh, in my town. So as they were trying to take over the military base, uh, their bombs fell short and a 14 rocket exploded in my home, bringing it down, burying me under the rubble, where I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months. And later when I came home, my home was no longer the home I left. I ended up living in a bomb shelter underground in an eight by 10 room uh, from the age of 10 to the age of 17, robbed of my youth. Wow. But were any of your family members also injured or killed uh, during that bombing? Uh, no, I was the only person that was injured. Uh, my father was not physically injured, but the bombing blew up the, um, his eardrums. So my father became deaf. So since I was 10 years old, the only way I could communicate with my father was by raising my voice or shouting in order for him to hear me. So it changed the dynamic of our lives. Uh, my father was, like I mentioned, I'm an only child to a financially comfortable businessman. Um, before the war, uh, before the bombing of my home, as the Palestinians started robbing banks in Beirut and we heard about the bombings in Beirut, my father went to the bank and withdrew his life saving in bank notes, hoping to flee and bring us to the United States. Two days later, in the bombing of my home, my father's money was burned to ashes. So we went from living maid and a chauffeur to drive me to school to barely able to survive living in a bomb shelter. Uh, my father lost all his money. So it, it changed all our lives. Did also create a lot of resentment from your family and other Maronite Christians and other Christians 
against the Palestinians? Yes, because the Palestinians were massacring the Christians in Lebanon. They knew the only thing that stands between them and Israel was Lebanese democracy. In order for them, they tried to do in Lebanon what they tried to do to the King Hussein in Jordan. Uh, they wanted to overthrow the king. The king was very strong, as all the Arab dictators. They ruled with an iron fist. In Lebanon, because we are a republic, because uh, uh, different communities have different representations, and we elect our representatives, uh, they knew they were able to manipulate the government. They were able to manipulate the population in order to advance their agenda. And uh, that's how uh, they started massacring the Christian towns. They started killing the Christians. Um, so the Christians became very resentful to the Palestinians that we, we welcomed with open arms because, you know, in our faith, the Bible says, do unto others what you want others to do unto you. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. Uh, the golden rule, uh, that did not, um, um, that was not appreciated uh, or returned by the Palestinians who ended up basically destroying Lebanon. And look at Lebanon today. What most people don't realize is Lebanon today is so destroyed that the country has been without a president for the last year and a half because Hezbollah is not allowing the election of the president of Lebanon because the president's position is supposed to be a Christian uh, post and they are not approving of anybody who's nominated to be president. So the country has been operating without a president for the last year and a half. So I want to get back to the, to the current stuff because it's just a mess what's happening in Lebanon today. And Hezbollah has undue influence and power, which people don't really, they really control the country. But just getting back to your story, so the Christians weren't, excuse me, the, the Palestinians weren't just intent on bombing your home. They were also killing Christians. Didn't you have other encounters that you were rescued by Lebanese um, militia, Maronite militia? Absolutely. I mean, the Palestinians were surrounding Christians town and massacring Christian towns. One of the most famous massacres in Lebanon happened in the city of the Moor, uh, where all the Christians uh, hid in the church thinking, okay, the Palestinians are not going to come kill us in the church. The Palestinians came and slaughtered the people. Uh, they uh, will, uh, 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 they, they split, uh, uh, they would walk into the church, find a pregnant mother. They would cut her stomach wide open, take the baby out and kill the mother and then slaughter the father. Uh, they crucified Christian men and cut off their genitals and stuck it in their mouth. Uh, they would take a baby, split the baby in half, tie one leg of the baby to the mother and another leg to the father, splitting the baby in half. They commit monstrosities that was unbelievable. The world did not report on the monstrosities because the media was all located in West Beirut, the area that Yasser Arafat controlled. And when I watch what's happening in Gaza and what the Palestinians did, the massacre in Israel on October 7th, nothing has changed. Nothing. Just they as barbaric as they were then. The, the, the barbara you're describing is what Hamas has been doing to Israelis today. It's beyond exactly. human scope. It's beyond. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it is. Uh, people do not want to believe this stuff. People do not want to understand it. I hear now on social media people saying, oh, Israel made this stuff up. This is all lies. This did not happen. Uh, and I had this argument with a Jordanian friend of mine that we, we got into this debate. And they said, no, it's all my up. I said, what are you talking about? They said, oh, this is all artificial intelligence. I said, back in 1976 in Lebanon, we didn't have artificial intelligence. This is exactly what they did to the Christians. 
And this is exactly what they did to the Armenians at the turn of the century in Turkey, when the Muslims massacred 2 million Armenians. A lot of the Armenians fled to Lebanon. We heard the exact same story. Nothing has changed. ISIS did the same thing. Nothing has changed. This is the way they operate. It's such hatred that we in the West have a very difficult time uh, understanding or even difficulty uh, to fathom the barbarity that is being committed in the 21st century. Our guest is Brigitte Gabriel, national security analyst, New York Times bestselling author, chairman, Act for American Organization, latest bestseller is Rise, as you heard Ruby from Lebanon, and she and her family suffered from the Palestinian Muslims that tried to kill her family and other Christians in Lebanon. So let me ask you a question. The Christians have been thrown out of the Middle East. You've been persecuted, and you just described some of the most horrific barbarism that has been done against you by Palestinian Muslims. So why isn't the Christian world, including the Pope, I know you're a Maronite and he's Catholic, but still why hasn't the Christian world been more forceful in speaking out against, A, the expulsions, the persecutions of Christians in the Arab Middle East, and to what's happening? They're mostly silent. Well, I think the Pope needs to stop clemming, and this is coming from a Catholic. Uh, you know, he needs to stick to religion and get out of politics. Uh, unfortunately, the Christians throughout the world do not come together like the Jews. And, and I don't understand why. And believe me, I tried. I tried to bring together the Christians in Lebanon and say, hey, if we want to have peace with Israel, we need to come together, coordinate together, sign uh, uh, signatures, petitions to the UN together to disarm Hezbollah. I participated in, in actually mobilizing the Lebanese Christians uh, back in 2004 to sign a petition to the United Nations to disarm Hezbollah. This was back when George Bush entered Iraq. There was a great movement uh, for peace in the Middle East, for freedom in the Middle East. We started contacting Christian Lebanese all throughout the diaspora. People were afraid to put their signature on paper to give it to the United Nations. They were afraid that just in case somebody got their hand on the list from Lebanon, they will find out that they signed the list and they will massacre their family. The fear was so deep and the intimidation was so deep that even those living in Australia, living in the Philippines, were afraid to sign their signatures on a piece of paper that we were going to give to the United Nations. That's when I knew there was a major problem in ever being able to organize the Christians in the diaspora to come together. They were afraid for their families because they know exactly what Hezbollah will do to their families. For example, I am able to speak the way I speak, very pro-Israel, very uh, uh, straightforward in speaking up in defense of democracy, in defense of uh, 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 repairing the world, in defense of the Jewish people. I am able to do that because I do not have any family left in Lebanon. I'm an only child. My parents are dead. I don't have any you know, sisters and brothers. My uncles and aunts are dead. I don't have any family left in Lebanon. What about so they, co- you have cousins in Lebanon? You have cousins in Lebanon? Distant cousins, I don't even know them. I have a couple cousins um, that are now in their late 70s. My parents had me very late in life. So, uh, and then the war started and we stopped going to Beirut. So I really don't even know my family members. So that's why I'm able to speak the way I speak. Most people are afraid to speak because Hezbollah will go in the middle of the night kidnap their family members, slaughter them, massacre them, and I will stand up for them. That's why, even though there are a lot of Christians who agree with me when I speak in defense of Israel, 
you cannot believe the messages Seb, that I received from my social media uh, saying, thank you, Brigitte, for speaking up. I'm a Lebanese living in Australia. Thank you, Brigitte, for speaking up. I'm a Canadian Lebanese, you know, from all over the world, Lebanese in Brazil, Lebanese in Chile, Lebanese in all over the world, France, Britain, you name it, saying, thank you for speaking up in defense of Israel. We know exactly what the Palestinians have done. We need to have peace in the Middle East. You are our voice. We are unable to speak because they will kill us and kill our families. We're counting on people like you to keep speaking. And unfortunately, they can't speak up. But you, you mentioned about them being afraid, but don't you, haven't you received multiple death threats? Uh, I do receive multiple death threats. From but whom? From whom are you getting them from? Who are you getting the threats from? Uh, well, well, it used to be, you know, I started speaking about Islamic terrorists. So up until 2018, uh, the terrorist threats came directly either from Al-Qaeda and later from ISIS or Muslims living in the United States. Uh, I think the last time I had the uh, FBI Joint Forces Staff on Terrorism, Task on Terrorism, and the Chief of Police in my city at my home warning me that an ISIS cell was dispatched out of New York City for my beheading, and they wanted me to change my home and change where I live. Um, that was in 2019, 2018, 2019. Um, and so today, that threat come from Antifa. Uh, that's why I live like the Witness Protection Program. Nobody knows where I live. Um, you know, I, I'm very careful. And when I travel, I'm very careful uh, in using a pseudonym. For example, Brigitte Gabriel is not my real name. You know, people think I have multiple names that you can read on the Internet, and none of them are my real name. So does it take its toll on you? And is it just Muslims and these ISIS terrorist groups that are going after you? And you mentioned Antifa. Are there other groups that also have been targeting you for your views? Uh, radical leftists uh, target me for my views. Radical leftists. And uh, recently, believe it or not, I've been receiving such hate mail from ADL members. Believe it or not, the ADL? ADL. I don't work ADL is the biggest organization that went after Brigitte Gabriel. Why? Why they go after you? Why they go after you? Since 2010, because they caused me of being a hate, uh, the leader of a hate group because I speak against radical Islamic terrorism. They thought that if they work with CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, or if they work with Islamist group in the United States, they will show them how wonderful they are, that we are united against hatred. And now, after, uh, after October 7th, I hope the ADL understood that what I was talking about is radical Islamic terrorism. I'm not against Muslims. There are plenty of people in the world who are wonderful, who do not even understand their religion. I mean, look, how many Muslims do you know in America, black Muslims, who have ever even read the Quran? They don't even speak Arabic. They can recite the prayer. They don't even know what it means. I'm a Christian. I'm Catholic. I have never read the Bible. The only thing I know about the Bible is what I heard the priest uh, say when I sat in the pews on a Sunday morning. So there are people who practice their religion, but they are not devout radicals. What I talk about are the radicals who use scriptures from the Quran in order to kill and cause mayhem across the globe, because those are the, the people that cause damage throughout the world and kill innocent people. Amazing what we're hearing about the hatred that exists and nobody really talks about, it, but our guest is not afraid to speak her mind. Brigitte Gabriel, not her real name, but name that most people know her by here in the United States, is a national security analyst, New York Times bestselling author, chairman, act, 
for America.org. Her latest bestseller is called Rise. I want to get back to you were in Lebanon. You said you live in a bomb shelter from when you were 10 to about 17 years of age. What happened then? How did you end up out of Lebanon? What transpired? Were you family involved? Were you caught up in the war that Israel enacted to get rid of the Palestinian Liberation Organization from Lebanon because of their terrorist activities? Well, you know, we went into the bomb shelter, and I remember at the beginning of the war, my father would say, oh, all the world Christian nations are going to wake up, and they're going to see what's happening to the Christians in Lebanon, and they're going to come save us. You know, America's going to come. Australia's going to come. Canada's going to come. France is going to come. And nobody came. Uh, and what we thought was going to be just a couple of weeks turned out to be years, and the world forgot about us. You know, everybody was interested in the Lebanese Civil War in the beginning, and they called it the Lebanese Civil War. It wasn't a war between Lebanese and Lebanese. It was a war between Christian Lebanese trying to defend their country and all Islamic radical terrorists who came to fight with the Palestinians in Lebanon against Israel. And so after two years, the world forgot about us. And I remember Zeb being in the bomb shelter at the age of 13. I remember one of our friends stopped by and he said, Rajit, I just want you to know we heard a lot of chatter on the radios, and we believe we're going to be attacked tonight. And he said, if I don't see you tomorrow, I wish you a merciful death. And he left. Wow. I remember dressing in my Easter dress, my Sunday best, waiting to be slaughtered. I remember my mother combing my long hair and tying a white ribbon in my hair. As I sobbed, I was crying, begging her, I don't want to die. I'm only 13 years old. Please do something. And there was nothing she could say to me. And I wanted to look pretty when I am dead, knowing that when they come to slaughter me, there would be no one to bury me. And we sat in the corner of our bomb shelter, and my father started reading from Psalm, I shall walk into the valley of death and fear no evil, for thou art with me. And my parents said to me, when they come to slaughter us tonight, we will create a distraction. We just want you to run towards Israel and don't look back. We lived a long life. You're a young child. Just run towards the Israeli border. You see, Zev, we live five kilometers from the Israeli border. I come from the town of Marjayou. And we knew if we go to the Jews and beg for help, the Jews are not going to slaughter us because we had more shared values with them than we had with the Muslims. So a few people from my town went to Israel and begged for help. And thank God I did not have to make that difficult decision that night. Because that's the night when Israel came in physically into Lebanon and established the security zone. What year, we, so, what year are we talking about? Uh, 1978. And Operation Litan and established security, established the security zone and set up artillery bases around my town that protected us. And this is how we ended up living for another five years in the bomb shelter until 1982 when Israel entered Lebanon through Milhamat Galil in 1982. And the only reason Israel came into Lebanon at that time is because Syria was using Lebanese territory, shelling Israel, calling it the Lebanese resistance. And so Israel was working with the Christians, trying to help the Christians take back their democracy and kick out the radical Islamic element out of Lebanon at that time. Because by 1982, we had 11 Islamic terrorist organizations operating out of Lebanon, including the PLO. So Israel came into Lebanon, and that's when they kicked out Yasser Arafat and his crony all the way out of Beirut and into Tunisia. 
Boys, on that time when the Shiites entered the fray, became more popular, more, more terroristic also, right? Because originally they were not so involved and then became much more involved with where they are today. Very hostile to Christians and Jews. Actually, they were involved from the beginning of the war because once the war was declared, once they declared jihad on the Christians in Lebanon in 1975, because the majority of the of the Palestinians were Muslims, that's when they started killing the Christians in the name of jihad, uh, in the name of Allah. The world didn't understand that this radical Islamic terrorism and using you know for any verses, the world didn't relate to that. But the Shiites were not organized until after Israel invaded Lebanon. That's when Iran in 1979, because Khomeini had come to power uh, with the assistance of Jimmy Carter, the Democratic president of the United States. When Khomeini came to power in Shocking. So how did you finally get out of Lebanon? I ended up moving to Israel in 1984. Directly directly from Lebanon? From, directly from Lebanon you moved to Israel? Directly from Lebanon. How were you able to do that? You just went up to the Israeli soldiers. How did you end up just picking up and getting to Israel? The Americans were building a TV station in my hometown, and I was visiting my friends, having a cup of coffee with them in the afternoon, and I said, what's this building next door? Uh, that it's being built. They said, oh, that's new American TV station. They're building. And I said, really? They said, yes. So I finished coffee, went back home, changed my clothes, walked back up to that building, knocked on the door. And I said, hey, are you hiring? And there was one guy working there in the control room. And he said, actually, the headquarters is in Israel. It's in Matula. It's not here. And he said, you know, the Americans come in during the day. So anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up going to Matula applying for the job, ended up moving to Jerusalem in December 1984. Uh, December 3rd, 1984 was my first day um, in Jerusalem. I applied for the job. Uh, I was hired on December 6th, moved to Israel December 9th, and I ended up living in Jerusalem from 1984 to 1989. Wow. And what about your parents? Uh, my parents both passed away in 1987, my father passed, and uh, my mother passed away in 1987. My father in 1988, and in 1989, before I moved to the United States, I buried them both in Israel. They are buried with Oscar Schindler on Mount Zion. If you have ever walked by Oscar Schindler's grave, if you've ever visited Oscar Schindler's grave, you walk by my parents' grave in order to get to his. Wow, amazing. Now, are there a lot of Lebanese Christians that believe like you believe? Because you are a, seems to be a lone voice out there that's 
from Lebanon that's not afraid to speak out, even though I've interviewed uh, some Lebanese businessman who loves Israel. He lives in Lebanon under armed guard because Hezbollah is trying to kill him. His name escapes me at the moment. But you don't hear a lot of that. You hear a lot of those hate of Israel, right? Look today. There's such great anti-Semitism, such great anti-Israel feelings around the world. And Hezbollah is tempting Israel and, and under the auspices of Iran, and they're more powerful than ever. Well, since Israel withdrew out of Lebanon in 2000, which I believe was a big mistake, just like the mistake they did when they withdrew out of Gaza in 2005, uh, which I was against that withdrawal too, uh, it created a huge void in Lebanon. And since then, Hezbollah brainwashed all the children that have been raised uh, in the schools for the last 20 years in Lebanon. But people of my generation, people who work with Israel, people who want to have peace with Israel, uh, who are in the diaspora and Oslo Israel because they understand what the Palestinians did to Lebanon. A lot of the Christian Lebanese who are still left in Lebanon right now, my generation is very for Israel, but they wouldn't dare open their mouth because their life will be destroyed. Who's going to stand up uh, uh, with them? Look, Zed, I'm excommunicated from my Lebanese community. I have no community. And it's a very lonely and sad position to be in. I'm not accepted by the Jewish community because I'm a shifter. I will always be a foreigner. I will always be an outsider. I'm not, I'm rejected by my Lebanese community, vividly rejected, not just by my Lebanese community, but anybody in the Arabic culture that shares the things that I enjoy, the food, the dance, the hospitality, the warmth. I'm a woman without a community. I'm a woman without support. I'm a woman without family on either side. But I chose to do this because this is my way of honoring my parents. My father always said to me, Brigitte, let your actions speak louder than your words. Words are cheap. Anybody can say anything, anytime. Let your actions tell people how you feel. And that's why when my parents died, I made sure my parents are both buried in Israel and Mount Zion. So my children yet unborn will always know where my loyalty lies, will always be drawn to Israel. I wanted to... I always tell people with my action how I feel. And I feel at this point, people need to have courage. People need to have conviction. You need to stand up against evil. There's a clear difference in the world between goodness and evil. I don't see gray lines. I see goodness and evil. And you cannot tell me that somebody who is able to behead a child or slaughter a woman who's pregnant or kill a father in front of his children by slaughtering him. Or, or, or put a baby in the oven and bake him. How can anybody with conscience stay silent? How can anybody with a shred of dignity, with a shred of goodness stay silent in this world? I am willing to lay my life on the line because this is how people should be right now in this moment in our history. You need to have a backbone. You need to have courage. You need to stand up for what is right. And if the price is death for what you speak, then let's beat it. I would much rather die as an honorable woman who stood up for what is good than die as a coward who's afraid to speak up against evil. Because evil dwells when a bunch of cowards keep their mouths shut and don't stand up and speak up and say what needs to be said. And by the way, if my message resonates with anybody listening to me right now, please go to our website, my organization, actforamerica.org. And join us, actforamerica.org. And I named the organization Act for America. As you can tell, Zed, I'm big on action. 
I didn't name the organizations. Think about America, hope for America, wish for America, pray for America, but act for America. And we stand with Israel unapologetically, undeniably strong, speaking up, working on passing bills in Congress. I'm happy to tell you that Act for America has 2 million members nationwide. We have, uh, we reach 8 million people daily through our social media. We helped pass 210 bills on the federal level and the state level to protect America and Israel. And so I encourage people to go to our website, actforamerica.org, and stand with us in every way you can. Bridget, we admire what you're doing, and we thank you. And I think the Jewish people love what you're doing, love you. If you want to be part of the Jewish people, we can arrange for it if you decide. <laughs> but And they'll accept you with open arms if you do so. But we're... By the way, when I was living in Jerusalem, I tried to convert to Judaism. I went to the synagogue on St. George Street twice, and they kicked me out. But you, but, but you, know, but, but you know why? I'll tell you the secret. According to Jewish law, you have to go three times. They have to reject you three times, and then they accept you. So you, had you gone three times a charm, you could have... <laughs> I didn't know that, but you know what? It was the sharing, because I wouldn't be as effective as I am today, speaking up the way I do for Israel, in support of Israel, than if I was Jew. So it, it was this year. <laughs> Terrific. we got to have you on more often. And oh, listen, thank you for all that you do. It's not just for Jews, but for Americans, for Christians, all decent people. Because as you've pointed out, the Hamas barbarism didn't just begin with them. It's been going on for a long time. And you and your family and other Christians in Lebanon have experienced that, where they've seen the slaughter of babies, the, just the way it was done. It was such a bar barbarism. Which I don't even understand how a human being can act in such a way. But they have, and the Hamas has just perfected that, unfortunately. Exactly. Hamas did what the Palestinians do all along. Zebras don't change their stripes. And again, thank you for having me on the show, Zed. And if this message resonates with you, our listeners, please make sure you write the ADL and tell them they need to take Brigitte Gabriel off their hate list. Because I don't speak as a, I, I'm, I'm a hater of those who hate. I don't hate anybody. I pray for my enemies. And the ADL and the Jewish people need to stand with the people who stand with them. Because at a time like this, that's when you know who your true friends are. And those who have the courage to stand up and speak up against evil. If this message resonates with you, please email the ADL right now and tell them they need to remove Brigitte Gabriel and Act for America from their hate list. Absolutely. And we're, we're, we're standing with you, and we're going to have you on more often to make sure that your message resonates more and more, especially with the Jewish community. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's have a great day. That's Bridget Gabriel, National Security Analyst, New York Times bestselling author, Chairman Act for America.org, latest bestsellers rise. She's from Lebanon. Unspoken, she's not afraid to speak out on behalf of Israel and against the Shiite and Muslim terrorism and barbarism that unfortunately Israel is experiencing today, but needs much more support. And we need more friends. We need more people to speak out like Bridget is speaking out. So thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.